Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's springtime, finally. It's a time for renewal and letting go. And one of my favorite things to do is to open my closet and get tossing. I let go of so many things that don't serve me and don't reflect who I am anymore. I make space. And guess what? You can do this with your inner closet as well, as we say in yoga. Relationships, patterns, habits that you have outgrown that don't serve you, well, you get to toss those too. You get to make space inside of your spirit and you get to decide what you're going to fill it with. It is very powerful, but it's It's not always easy because growth is sometimes challenging, but it is always good. And BetterHelp can help. A good therapist can give you tools to explore yourself. They offer customized online therapy, either on video or phone chat sessions. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can speak with someone in under 48 hours. Right now, Stages podcast members get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp. So giddy up, get clearing. We have had so many of our listeners take advantage of BetterHelp, and we really thank you because when you support our sponsors, you support Stages Podcast. So log on to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot com slash Stages. Get tossing, start growing, and happy spring. Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages Podcast. Where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. Yeah, I said we may have to give him all new questions, Steph, because he's got all the questions memorized and he's got his answers. I've tried tried to keep, no, no, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't planned a single answer. I've been trying to keep my, just. And let's come up with some new ones. Blank page. Throw them for a loop, Mary Lee. Give him something different. In life, the only thing constant is change. And we've all heard this saying, we will all live a reality that ends and then a new beginning will emerge. How we handle those changes, those ends, are what not only shapes who we are, but exposes who we are. Our guest today is an inspiration to every person he has ever been in contact with. I first got to know Jared in The Pirate Queen back in 2006, 2007, and I would watch in awe the strength of his body as he performed long, intense choreography. I experienced the strength of his body as my sword fight sparring partner in battle scenes. I heard and felt the strength of his voice as I stood beside him, blending our sounds and melodies and harmonies. This respect continued as we shared the stage together on Broadway at the Gershwin Theater in Wicked, a show where he made his home, well, I should say his theatrical home, for more than 12 years. These last several years, I've been humbled by his strength of spirit, the strength of his character, his grace, his humor, his resilience, his hope. If you are lucky enough to call Jared friend, that will always be the first thing you see his strength. And today we are so grateful to have Jared Bortz on the podcast to share his story of how one reality ended and the new beginning emerged. Please welcome Jared Bortz. Jared Bortz to stage, please. Jared, can we have you to stage? Yes, you can. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Jared. Hello. Hi. Hi, this is Mary Lee. Mary Lee. Hi. 
This is Jared. It's so great to meet you. It's so great to meet you. Thank you for coming on. Take a second to realize that I'm not actually listening to your podcast. I'm just actually talking to you. You are on it, boo. (laughs) Jared, I'm going to let you, in your own words and voice, give us as much of your life-altering story. We want to hear whatever you wish to share. I always think plays, musicals that are good are about a moment where somebody's life is divided between before and after. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I definitely had a, a big one in February, 2018. Um, I had a routine with, uh, with my husband, Stephen. After the show, he would park the car, you know, across the street from the stage door of the Gershwin. I would probably rollerblade out of the theater because I just, you know, not a second to spare. We have 48 hours and 30 minutes off between ending the show and beginning the next one. Uh, and so I was rollerblade across the street and uh, he would pop the trunk. I would take my rollerblades off, change into my shoes. He would hop into the passenger seat. I hop in the driver's seat. We would drive to our lovely little Poconos cabin. Uh, and so we were doing that like we did every other time. And um, we were two miles from our exit. And uh, the car had its own idea of what it was going to do. And we were involved in a single car accident. Uh, The car rolled and flipped, the roof crushed. And uh, it's funny, the the things you remember in trauma, you know, the brain is a good thing. It protects you from feeling too much pain. And in the moment, I I felt no pain. All I said was, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I don't remember the car flipping. I don't remember the car rolling, um, but we came to a stop. We were on the, the driver's side. Stephen was sort of in the air on the passenger side and he was sort of yelling for me. And I didn't respond right away, which in his telling, he was like, oh my God, did he die? Mm. And I was simply just assessing like what happened. And I simply said, I can't feel my legs. And so what happened is that accident was I uh, fractured my six cervical vertebrae, which then damaged my spinal cord at that level. And uh, that means any part of my body that innervates into my spinal cord below my six cervical vertebrae, any of those muscles I was no longer in control of. So uh, that was that dividing line in my life where, uh, you know, the before the it's still a, I'll try not to cry too much. Um, it divides it between before and after. And, uh, and then what, what uh, happened after that is the past four years and one month. To separate self-identity from what we do, I know as performers, is a very difficult thing. Is there any difference in the way you would define yourself or see your self-identity with the before and the after the accident. For better or worse, I live my life as a very physical person. One of my crowning achievements before our wedding was the hundreds and hundreds of four foot rock walls that I built on our mountainside in our property to create a wedding venue. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, cutting down trees, ripping out root stumps, moving earth, collecting rocks. I got so much pleasure out of being physical. And so I was, I was one of those, Stephen always says I was, I was those rare, rare actor. And that I didn't, um, I didn't get caught up too much in, in that as my identity, although definitely would have been one of the top five, top 10. But beyond that, things I like to do were physical. 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, drywall, plumbing, tiling, ripping out walls, gardening, rollerblading, ballet was physical. And that is the, the before and after that, you know, mourning all of those things has taken quite some time. It's interesting that we're talking in this moment right now. I feel like I'm, I'm currently out west in Arizona visiting my parents, escaping the, the Northeast weather. Mm-hmm. Um, and this trip coincides with a bunch of different things, but I've, I've turned a corner. I've turned a corner in my recovery. And, and the, the easiest way to describe it is that before, when I felt joy post-accident, there would always be something that stopped that joy, that reminded me this horrible thing happened to you. You no longer can feel unbridled joy. It would stop me. I, I feel like I've finally gotten to a point, and it just happened in the past, like maybe three, four weeks, that I feel like I can feel unbridled joy and let it go as far as it wants to go and not stop myself. What do you attribute to that, that, that turnaround, that moment that allows you to move past that? Time therapy, meditation, and honestly, I experienced trauma at age 38. I had 38 magnificent years. It took me till age 30 to feel like I knew myself and I was in my own skin. But those 30 years were wonderful years of, I got to be naive and young and not know things and not know myself and be insecure and learn. And then at 30, I like hit my stride. And that was the first year I ever had a birthday party. Cause I, I think up until then, I didn't really know myself well enough to know what I wanted to do to celebrate and felt confident oh, enough wow. that other people might want to celebrate with me. Wow. So at 38, I had an amazing foundation that this trauma happened to. And so that person, I think, was so alive and I knew that person so well that the journey back to that, that core authentic person was easier as opposed to somebody who experiences trauma at a young age mm-hmm. um, and doesn't have this foundation of a great life. I mean, I used to say to my friends, I literally would say all the time, who's got it better than us? I'm wondering, do you still have the house in Pennsylvania and do you still go to visit it? Because I would think it would be really traumatic to make that drive and pass that exit and um, sort of, I wonder if you relive it over and over every time you make the drive or if you don't go there anymore. We still have the house and thankfully the whole first level is where the primary bedroom is, bathroom, it's, and it is accessible for me now despite being on a very steep hill, every time we go to it, we have to park at our neighbor's driveway because our van is in our driveway and we have to like precariously roll me down the steep hill. But driving there, it took a good three plus years for Stephen and I to talk as we drove past that spot where we know it happened. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, then immediately we both would get a little bit quiet. And then later Stephen would say like, oh, hey, do you know exactly where it happened? Can you point it out to me? And the next time we would drive, I would forget or we wouldn't talk. You get to that point and your brain does something to protect you. Yeah. When I got out of rehab, um, Megan Sakura, a great friend who I, great, I know the staff does. Great, great lady. Um, she practices Reiki. Mm-hmm. She contacted me and said, hey, 
um, you know, I do this if you're interested. And she came over and she, you know, uh, we had a session together. And in the middle of the session, I, I had a moment of breaking down. And she said to me, she goes, look, there's a lot of things you're trying to jump over. I'm sorry to let you know, you're going to have to go through those at some point. But that was the brain protecting me that, that yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't take it in. And it, and I think it has taken these four years for me to fully see and look and accept. What I, I see in you, Jared, is just a great bravery. And, and one of the things that proves that to me is you and Steven have decided to continue to live in New York City. And that city, the energy alone does not lend itself for easy living for those of us that can use all of our limbs, let alone you who is in a wheelchair. And I'm, I want to know what inside of you says, this is still my home because that city is not going to meet you where you are. Yeah. 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 Look, the, the, the dog poop on the street, that's, that's the thing you got to look out for the most. I, and I would not have even taken that into consideration. <laughs> Cause that, I mean, that'll, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I've only fallen, fallen in my chair, maybe, I don't know, once or twice, but look, you get dog shit in those wheels. It's everywhere. That, it's in the that, van. Oh it's God. in your apartment building. Yeah, that, it's that, everywhere. Better. Um, You know, look, I, for better or worse, I like to work hard. I like it. I, I go out of my apartment and there would be days where, you know, for some reason there is fear, there is shame. I, I, I feel what I must look like from the outside. I get really self-conscious. Um, but my desire to just go is stronger than all of those things. And that's just me. Uh, you know, like I said, for better or worse, because, you know, sometimes that quality, you know, gets me into trouble. And I do every once in a while I'll take a moment to realize that like, I don't see anybody in a wheelchair, which is not to say that they're not as strong as me or I'm better. You know, I say to, to my therapist a lot, I'm like, it's really hard. I think I'm doing a really good job. And, you know, I, I just sometimes just need to hear that from somebody. And sometimes I need to do it for myself. I think you're doing a really fucking good job. Um, and this is really, really hard. Yeah, I guess it's just me. I just, I, I, I can't sit at home. I'm not a, being in this, in, in, inside, I, I'm, I'm, I get cagey. I gotta go, mm -hmm. I gotta go. Um, but yeah, the city is a, it's an obstacle course. I feel like I'm playing a video game. Yeah. yeah. I know um, early after the accident, I asked you about your singing voice because your voice is just divine. And with the paralysis and my ignorance, I didn't know how far that went up, if it was going to continue up until your diaphragm, if your singing voice was still going to be there. Talk to us about how you had to exercise, like with physical therapy, occupational therapy, spiritual therapy, to re-engage all those facets that will allow you to get back to that talent that is just incredible. How, what did that look like, that therapy, to get you there? Um, honestly, the therapy is just doing it. And I've had a couple opportunities um, to just do it. And again, the love for it was greater than the fear. Mm. Um, I, uh, my friend, uh, Craig Jessup, Breed Love, 
had uh, invited me to audition for and then asked me to participate in a workshop of a musical he'd written called Stu for Silverton about the first open trans uh, person who was elected in our country. It was a mayor in Silverton, Oregon. And I remember I just saying yes, but how it was painful. I, I would have moments in the middle of rehearsal where I just had to turn to a corner and cry and mm. hide and have no one see me and just move on because I love it so much. So the process was just trial and error and, and moving through the pain, you know, feel, feel the fear and do it anyways. Do you have your full breath control? Do you have? Oh, heavens of Murgatroyd, no. So about from my clavicle down is where I'm paralyzed. And it runs about the center of your arm. So um, hand function is at C8, so I don't have any hand function. Um, But as far as sensation, I can feel like my thumb, my pointer finger, my middle finger, and then it starts to fade from there. I can feel my bicep. I can't feel my tricep, but I can fire my tricep. Spinal cord injuries are like snowflakes. There's no two alike. Uh, my diaphragm does still work. The diaphragm thankfully innervates higher than those sort of like surface muscles. Um, so singing is a, um, a much more cerebral event where I have to make plans for breaths. I have to justify breaths, you know, as an actor, you know, you're pausing to think about the next thing. Whereas before you might've just sang it in one phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, I, I love rehearsing. I'm such a rehearser. Uh, I, it's just, I love the, the planning sets me free. When, I, when I've explored every option, I can show up and let it all go and know that I've got a bag of tricks that'll just pop up at the moment when I need it. We're doing a, a concert to help raise some money for a neighbor of my parents who uh, just, um, and I never know what verbiage to use, suffered, incurred, acquired, I don't know, a spinal cord injury. Mm. Um, There's a lot of times where I don't know what I want to do next, but when I can be in service of somebody, especially somebody who's going through what I'm going through, the answer is a quick, easy yes. My mother has been bothering me for weeks about, are you going to do a concert when you come out to Arizona? As if, you know, just doing a concert is something that, you know, we We just wiggle our nose and just throw that together. Got a show. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and I, I I dug my heels. I was like, no, no one needs to hear a concert from me. No one needs that from me. We got out here and she saw the sky. I was like, okay, well, I guess we're doing a concert. <laughs> when you lost the physicality of the expression of creativity, so that's the way you expressed your creativity the most was through physical endeavors. Did you find that that creativity morphed into some other expression for you? Did you start to write or uh, paint or some other creative expression that maybe you wouldn't have tapped into before because it was expressed so easily through physicality? Um, There are a bunch of things that I possessed but didn't cultivate. Mm -hmm. And one of them is, I mean, I got a great BFA in acting. I went to Ithaca College and, you know, the musical theater students were in the same exact curriculum as the BFA acting student. So it's really a BFA acting studio. And then the musical theater kids, us would take dance classes, sight singing classes, voice classes in addition. So there's there's been this actor in me that just hasn't had the chance to flex his muscles. And, and that's something I get to lean into. You know, I, I, 
I did a good bit of writing. Um, I get to lean more into that. I directed some, I can lean more into that. I enjoy talking, mm-hmm. <laughs> which maybe you'll realize by the end of this podcast. <laughs> um, uh, so all of those things were already there. Um, it's just a matter of turning my attention towards them and leaning into them and realizing, and look, I'm so grateful that I built those rock walls and I love them so much. I, I, I don't get to do that again. And I get to just turn my attention to something else. I'm looking forward to when the space presents itself. That's right. Four years is, is not a lot of time for um, an accident of this magnitude. Healing Uh. is never linear. So, you know, I hope that you can hear in our voices, you are doing a fucking good (laughs) job. To me, what speaks volumes is that you're now turning your attention, like you said, in service to a neighbor who had a um, similar accident and you're able to use your talent to help that individual. But do you find that you going out and living your life so vibrantly, you have found yourself to be an example to others that perhaps may not have taken notice in the past of a fully abled, um, you know, all of the limbs are working, but now there's this moment where you are extraordinary right? You, if you're, if we're looking at a hundred people, there's Jared in, in his wheelchair and you can grab that attention and use it as a beacon for whatever that might look like. Or does that just feel like a huge effing responsibility and I should shut up because (laughs) it's not mine to thrust upon you? No, it, it, it lights me up. It lights me up. It does. So, uh, so I'm visiting my parents in this, uh, RV resort they live in. Anyways, last night they were down at the bocce ball courts. They were having a little <laughs> bratwurst potluck and uh, someone had set up a karaoke thing, which, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about, I feel like. I don't want any part of that. No. Yeah, no, 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 because there's high expectations. You don't know what key that's coming out in. Nope. Here's a hint, everybody. Go Karen Carpenter, because at least you know that those keys are <laughs> never going to hit a height where you're like, I can't hit this note. <laughs> Rainy days and Mondays get me down. Like you can just do monotone one note and still come off great. Maybe win a prize at karaoke. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, you know, mom and dad are and other people who know I sing, like you're going to sing and sing and you know, I give them, I was like, you know, look, would a lawyer show up in court, not prepped for a case? No. Yes. of course. I don't show up to sing unless I've prepped. Um, but as we've been getting ready for this concert for, for Steve Schwartz, um, I keep saying to my, to my mom, to anyone, I said, look, all you have to ask yourself is, will this help us raise money? And if the answer is yes, you do it. If the answer is no, you don't do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there thinking, Will this help you raise money for Steve Schwartz if you get up and sing and tell people about the concert? It will. So I'm, I'm telling my mom and dad, the, the inner monologue I had to go through to pep talk myself into doing a karaoke song, which you wouldn't think. You know, we perform for thousands of people. We're prepping for this concert and, uh, you know, we're getting all our karaoke tracks from YouTube. So I took my phone. I was like, this is the karaoke track you need to find on YouTube. And I sang on Broadway from Smokey Joe's. There you go. A little Lieber and Stoller. That's good. So uh, yes, when, when, when there is a need, it's so easy for me to get over myself. It's so easy when I can be in service of others, I can get over myself in two seconds. 
And that's the thing that lights me on fire and has ever since this accident that I know that if it's about someone else, I can do it. If it's about me, well, I'm gonna get all gummed up. So adversities and challenges, of course, teach us so many new things about ourselves. Can you can you tell us just one or two things that you've learned about yourself and that you were surprised to learn about yourself through uh, everything that you've been through? My, my friend Matthew once described me as an island. He's like, people just visit your world. You don't need anyone. You're perfectly fine. You do everything on your own. And that's another one of the challenges of this injury. I needed nothing from anybody. And now I need many things from many people. Um, so that's been a huge journey of how to ask for help, receive help. Receive it, yeah. And and receive help in the way that they're able to help and not in the way that I, because that's why I did everything by myself because I know exactly how I want it done. I know how I want it to go. I know yeah. how I want that rock wall to look. Yeah. Um, and there's a tiny section of the rock wall that has since fallen. And I stare at it all the time. And I think, you know, it's not a priority. I don't need to drag anyone out here to rebuild that rock wall. And who would anyways? Um, but I suppose, you know, that's maybe a litmus for when I do master the art of enrolling people into helping me is when I find someone to help me fix that little section of rock wall. Mm, um, that's a really but, big insight into yourself. That's a very hard thing to emotionally accept. You know, we, a, a lot of us have a hard time accepting help and asking for help. And th- that's, that's a huge lesson that you just described. So do you feel like Stephen was, was the advocate for you in asking for help, whether that be, you know, um, singing for thankful? the album, which was written by him, lyrics and music, and is a beautiful compilation of his songs. And, you know, y'all enlisted some pretty heavy Heavy hitters, hitters. some real heavy hitters. Yeah, I should acknowledge that's that's why we're here, because, you know, Stephen is, uh, gosh, he's got a fire inside of him for, for creating and things he wants to say to the world. This album, Thankful, which we received so much support from the Actors Fund, from from our friends, from our family, um, that it's hard to receive and it feels uncomfortable. And so I said said to Stephen, I said, look, I said, maybe there's a way we can gather some friends and record some of your songs and and, and try to give back to the, the Actors Fund. And so that's what thankful is and became. And and there's a song, Stephanie, that you sing on it for those who don't know, which um, I can't tell you just for years, we've been like, oh my God, Stephanie Box sang this song. And this was an opportunity where we, 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 we stuck it to you. We said, you can't say no. (laughs) Um, I can't build a rock wall, but I can (laughs) sing a little ditty. Uh, This is hardly a little ditty. You know, Stephen writes some important lyrics. How did you meet your husband, Stephen? We met doing a Christmas review. Steve was a part of a quartet of singers. So I was one of the dancer singers hired from New York. And I remember getting the, the, uh, the, the, the pamphlet where you get before, like, here's the, the script and the score. And I remember seeing like the singers. And then I saw, oh, holy night, dot, 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 Stephen Skeels. And I thought there were singer auditions. I would have gone to those. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was just going to say, you're a wonderful dancer, but in my mind, right? We don't want to put the, fir- but you're meat and potatoes, right? Is your voice. 
<laughs> sure, meat and potatoes is whatever you pay me for. Um, <laughs> uh, but but I remember thinking like, oh, this guy, I hope he's good. And I mean, Stephen has a spectacular voice. Yeah. And so we met doing that job and we flirted a little bit. Um, we hung out and the job was over. And I remember saying to him, you know what? I think I'm going to have to call you and wish you a Merry Christmas. So the job ended right before Christmas. I called him for Christmas. Um, we chatted and he said, look, what are you doing for New Year's? And I said, I don't have plans. He said, well, if you're adventurous, you'll rent a car and you'll come down to Nashville where my friend Andy's having a little party. And I said, maybe I will. I call him back and I say, so I looked it up and I'm too young to rent a car. Because <laughs> you have to and be 25. You've got to be 25 to rent a car. Yeah, I was 22 and he was 40. I'm calling him out right now. And that was the moment he was like, oh. So it turned out my brother had nothing to do. Asked me what I was doing. I told him this plan. He said, great, let's go. So we drove from Greensburg, Pennsylvania, where my parents were, down to Nashville. and. Stephen tells a story. He's in the car with his best friend and his best friend's like, what are you doing? This could go terribly bad. This is a baby child man person. <laughs> and this is, this is very unlike Stephen. Stephen's very private. He, does, he doesn't do these sorts of things. And I guess Stephen's like, well, I mean, if it's awkward, I guess, I don't know, he'll go home and that'll be that. Um, but we spent New Year's Eve together and uh, we have a picture from the New Year's Day um, of us snuggling on the couch like we had been together forever. Um, my brother ended up leaving around like 2 a.m. to drive home to D.C. because that's where he lived. And he was like, hey, bud, you're okay to like get back to New York? And I was like, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> and so Steve and I rented a car and there's nothing like a road trip to get to know somebody. Ain't that the truth, yeah. So we drove from Nashville. Could have ended York. right there. Could oh, have ended 100%. right on that return trip. That's make or break. And, uh, and I guess it made it. And we just kept hanging out and we've been doing that. We just celebrated 20 years this past New Year's. Wow. Seb and I always joke because I always tell him, I don't think he's the greatest driver only because the man has at least, you know, 20 thoughts going through his brain at any given moment. So he'll leave that blinker on way longer than it should. And for some reason, that sound in particular is like a nail in my brain. I'll be like, <laughs> blinker, please. Blinker, please. Not to put it on, just to turn the damn thing off. Then I'll be like, mm, that looks like it might be the last Chevron station for about 30 miles. Think we should get some gas? Think we should get some gas? So he's like, this would have never worked had we been on a long road. Yeah. But for me, for him, if we're in parking lots, that man will like circle around, look at the one that's real close, decide that's not the one, do four <laughs> slots later and be like, no, I don't like that one. I'm like, just park the damn car. And I said, if this was a first or second date, we never, we never would have gotten past this moment in the parking lot of TJ Maxx. Wouldn't have worked. On our honeymoon, we went to Italy. Well, that's a whole different. Okay. <laughs> we rented a car and we drove through Rome. So we're going around and around this roundabout. And Michael could not take the exit because people go zero. They're flying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are little motorcycles. They're zipping all over the place. And at one point, he just turns to me and he goes, I may start to cry. Please don't divorce me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that really is a situation. Yeah. Our oh, uh, relationship is a real litmus. It really is. And and, and for us, it, look, this encompasses, I think, this whole accident and this 
slipping of our lives that mm. I was the driver, Stephen was the passenger. Mm. And now in life and in the car, Stephen's the driver and I'm the passenger. Wow. And neither of us have any skills to be in those roles. And wow. so we are constantly developing new skills to be in these new roles in our life, but at the same time, not losing, you know, who we are. Um, and the same thing, Steph, I mean, Stephen has bad ears and he has to wear earplugs in the car because it's noisy. And if we're listening to something and honey, that blinker, that blinker. And does it affect you in the same, like Seb can't even hear it. For me, it really is like, turn that off or I'm going to, it's like the nails on the chalkboard for me when a blinker. For me, I just worry that like some other driver is going to think we're signaling to move and they're going to make a choice based on that presumption and we're going to do an accident. So I'm always like, oh, how long do I wait? How long do I wait? How do I say it really softly and really nicely? Hey, hon, turn signal. Like, how can I make my light, my voice is delicate and, right. and approachable? And blinker, kind? please. <laughs> Would you mind turning off the blinker? Darling. Now, the amount of grace that it takes for you, bo- for you both to switch positions in life, as you just said, what are... What's the thing that constantly comes back in where you're like, oh, I, this, this just is never going to feel organic to me doing X, Y, Z or Steven having to do X, Y, Z. I mean, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, O, P, double A, double B, double C, double D. You know, it's the alphabet twice. The compassion, gratitude, and just stepping away and taking a breath. Mm-hmm. These are the things, these are the tools we are and get to develop with each other. Yeah. I mean, last night it was finding the HDMI cord on the TV, which we've done many times, but here we are again in a new environment with a new TV where the HDMI cord is placed in a different place. And, you know, how do we navigate this, you know, difficult thing that I used to do, like, you know, blindfold with my hands tied behind my back while Stephen was, you know, reading his, you know, texts. Mm. And now I'm staring at him while he's right. doing it nervously. Right. Um, and giving directions and guiding, but you physically can't do it yourself when all you want to do is physically do it yourself. Mm-hmm. While Dude, Stephen has absolutely no interest no in interest. H. Yeah, right. And that's why our relationship worked out so well. He had no interest in how these things worked. And I love knowing how they worked and doing them. And now, you know. Wow. We're fucked. But, you know, I think <laughs> you guys... You guys say it over and over again, and let me just say it loud for the back row that might not have heard it. I mean, if you can, and I have the benefit of 38 solid years, if you can get to the point where you see challenges as a way to grow, I now possess superpowers. Yeah. I possess superpowers. And they're not ones that are like right at my ready, but I know that I have them, and I know that they are because of this equally awful thing that happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I invite anyone that if something awful is going on, there's a way to get to the other side of it. And when you're on the other side of it, my goodness, watch out world. I teach this Kundalini class, which I don't know if you've taken Kundalini, but it's all about breath, right? So you do, it's, it's all breath work. It's hardly ever a pose. And at the end of the breath work, you take a deep inhale and you hold the breath and you squeeze. And I tell people, you know, well, we're going to do it once and you hold the breath and your brain is going to say to you, I have to breathe, I have to breathe, I have to breathe, I have to breathe. You you can't hold it anymore. And then you breathe. 
And I said, when you, when you go back in, try not to let your brain, let its preconceived notions tell you what your abilities are. Mm. Try to go past that chatter and you'll be amazed because at a certain point, this calm washes over you, even though you haven't taken the breath that you think you so desperately need, it washes over you and you enter into this other space. Mm. And then we keep trying it until they start to feel that, oh, wow, because we have, we have these preconceived notions of what we can and can't do, what our abilities are and aren't, and and not only in the physical, but in our emotional life, in all of our aspects. And you seem to be able to go to that space, get past the, you know, the chatter of it, and then allow yourself to drop into this sort of state of, of uh, grace. And I think that's a really amazing ability. To sustain it, even just for a brief amount of time, really does help recharge and renew. Because no one is is to be expected to constantly, like you said, be in this elevated right. and holy space all of the time. Right. That's just not to be human. Yeah, when I when I have a, a, a something tough happen, something go wrong, um, you know, it's it's a, a day is too long to say. Well, that was this, that that was a bad day. No, 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 it's too long. It was a bad mm. moment. Yeah, and mm. at any moment we can have a new moment. Can you speak to? One moment that in that moment you recognized as being something very, very special. One moment after the accident. Um, I remember having brunch with my friend Meredith, um, who has done a lot of work on self. Um, she was also the first person that, that helped me understand how uh, a person can just witness your grief. And that is such a blessing. Uh, they're not going to fix it. They're not going to change it, but they can just sit there and, and, and hold it with you. Hold that space. Yeah. Hold that space. And we were at brunch one day and I, I just was so moved because I thought I'm glad I'm alive for this moment because there were many, many moments in the first couple of years where I was, I was very not convinced that being alive was the better outcome of that accident. And so there are these moments where I can say, you know what? I'm glad I'm alive for this moment. Yeah. Do you do any sort of like group therapy where you hear stories from other people? Yeah, pre-pandemic uh, at um, Mount Sinai up on East 102nd Street, which you try to get to East 102nd Street in a wheelchair. <laughs> Ain't no direct path there. <laughs> um <laughs> That's, a, that's an hour 15 commute each way, every time. Wow. And that's me, you know, pushing a, a mile and a half through Central Park, because that's really the only option. Um, but we used to, yeah, there was a, a, a group that would meet um, at Mount Sinai at their inpatient rehab. I would attend, I, I did my therapy at their outpatient um, in New York. <clears throat> but uh, that went away with the, with the pandemic. It, they've returned to Zoom, but it just wasn't, it didn't speak to me. Um, no, but yeah, I, I did have some time you know, spent with other people. Um, and it was very early on. I would just spend the time crying and shaking my head and being like, I'm just so devastated. Is anyone else devastated? Like, I, of course. you know, and I, and I certainly understand that I could provide that as, 
an actor and somebody who is not afraid to share their emotions that although I felt alone, I know I wasn't. But yes, being in that group was was helpful. I wanted to ask if you had any kind of a a spiritual practice that helps ground you and helps keep you on a path of gratitude and focus on service. Yeah. So my friend, Ioana Alfonso, (gasps) Io had been listening to a meditation using Insight Timer and Mm. she sent me a link to it and was like, Hey, I listened to this. I thought of you. Maybe it'll help you. Maybe it's bullshit, whatever. Here it is. Um, Insight Timer is... I, I, I don't know a strong enough word to say how it's been a, a tool in my life. Um, I use it when I fall asleep and the brain kicks in at, I don't know, 3.15 in the morning, 6 a.m. in the morning, whenever. I put on a meditation on an insight timer. I listen to it. That is my current spiritual practice. And some days I want a body scan. Sometimes I want like a, a yoga nidra. Sometimes mm-hmm. I just want music. Sometimes I want a visualization. I really love chakras, which I know I Mary love. Lee is like your thing. Chakras and nidra <laughs> so, yoga. I love nidra yoga. Can okay. you talk to our listeners about nidra yoga? I'm using nidra you listeners. Yoga. What I'm saying is I don't know what it is. Yeah. Therefore, nidra yoga is dream yoga. And it's sort of, um, I, um, it can be done different ways, but it's often guided uh, almost like um, an awake dream where you use visualization. It's not, there There really are no asanas or movements that go with it. Often you're just sort of laying down in a meditative state. It's really cool. It's so interesting because yeah. again, my prep, my journal, I don't know if you can see, but I'm asking about <gasps> dreams. Oh, I wanted to know. I love a Stephanie Block yeah. journal. I love a Stephanie I- Block <laughs> journal. She had one in Wicked where she would say, okay, thank you so much for that. No, I'm going to Hold on a sec. I'm going to go back. So three weeks ago, uh, so-and-so said this. So, you know what's really you know, funny? I'm a little confused. So if you could just help clarify that for me. She Here's just pulls those journals out of everywhere too. You just like, so I have this journal from seven years ago and I'm like, that just happens to like be on your desk. What? Yes. How is that possible? Here's the journal we got anything. in Africa to write oh, down yeah. all of the things. Yeah. No, uh, it's, it's a problem. And yet it is my... Nope. It's, it's my go-to. It's amazing. my solace. It's my. I you, know, you and your journals. I feel safe amongst journals. But I, I had read something a long time ago. It was after I gave birth, and it was talking about major T's, major traumas, and that after a major trauma, that you should pay attention to your dreams because they will take on a whole different life. There will be a subconscious narrative that's telling you either how to help you heal or how to free you of something. Well, the bad news is I don't remember my dreams unless it's a dream I have after I've woken up for the day-ish and I fall back asleep for maybe like an hour or 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. That dream, sometimes I can remember a little bit of it, but they uh, they fade like Brigadoon in the mist for me so quickly that mm-hmm. it's just not a, a, a It's not a tool that, you can use. Yeah, that I can use. Um, I was going to say about spiritual practice. Um, so yes, meditation is in, in insight timer and guided meditations is my thing now. Uh, prior to the accident, ballet was my medit- was my spiritual practice. Because mm. for me, it, it it needs to be an activity that consumes my person so much that my brain cannot yep. do a crazy thing. And ballet is such a a, a hateful art form. Um, 
which of course I love with a passion, um, but it's singularly focused. Yeah. And that was my meditation. And when I couldn't sleep at night, I would review the adagio from my class that week. Mm-hmm. And for a long time after the accident, I, I, I still remember my, the last adagio that I did because I would go over it anytime I would wake up and I, my brain would start going, I would just go to that adagio and go, mm, and I would go through it in my head. And I still use that sometimes, um, but uh, I need to find new adagios. So I watch like ballet classes on YouTube and I memorize the adagios oh, from like wow. World Ballet or, or the Bolshoi or the Paris Opera Ballet. Um, so that's my other spiritual practice now is visualizing um, adagios from ballet classes. I think it's fascinating that you can watch the adagios on YouTube with joy instead of sadness. I think that's really incredible that you can go yeah, there. Look, I, I, I came to dance very late. I didn't start until I was 16. It was like bring a friend to dance class day. And my friend was like, come along. And I think anytime a boy shows up about at a ballet studio, they're like, please be very nice to the boy. Maybe he'll stay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so it was very nice to me. Um, and, I, and I did seem to have some sort of aptitude. Uh, but I would, I would take class with the company. I would take class with like the four-year-old, the five-year-olds. And they would look at me in class and I would look and say, look, do not look at me. I am watching you. I do not know what I'm doing. Um, And on Saturdays uh, would be like the long day in the studio where they would be rehearsing for Capelli or the Nutcracker or whatever. And I just love sitting and watching all day long. I love ballet dancers. I love the way they move. I love the shape of their body. I love the way they can express. And so, so yes, it, I did not grow up a dancer. I did not grow up in that competition world. Um, I never identified in a strong way as a dancer. I just loved it so much. And I love the physical challenge of it, that it's just, like I said, so hateful. I would come home from ballet and Stephen would be like, how was class? And I'd say, I was terrible. (laughs) He would say, you say that every time. And I said, well, because it's true every time. Not that I was terrible, but that it's just such a demanding art form. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Yes, I can enjoy it. And I always did just in a visual way. And like I said, even, even in an imaginary way, there's a, there's this, my favorite adagio currently is from the Royal Ballet. There's a thing called Royal Ballet Day where all the ballet companies broadcast on YouTube. Um, They start in like whatever time zone is first, you know, it'll go from like Paris to Germany to San Francisco to England to New York. And and they broadcast live. And so those are all on YouTube. And uh, Royal Ballet from like probably 2021 is one of my favorites currently. Um, Steph, do you mind if we talk for a second about um, your <laughs> storming the barricades of Kessler when I first arrived? <laughs> you can absolutely talk about storming. <laughs> so. How grateful I and Stephen are to you and Seb opening your home to us. I remember it was like maybe like day two. Stephen was like, Stephanie keeps calling and she just, she just keeps, she just keeps calling. So, and you showed up just saying, look, I just feel called that there's something I can do to support you. And that's just why I'm here. And that's why I'm being insistent because this voice will not, it just, it's there and it's loud. It's there and it's loud. And and you were not wrong. And you and Seb opening your home to Stephen and also to my parents um, was such an amazing 
thing that I just want to say thank you. And, and, and just an example of when, when we hear these voices and they, you know, to follow them. And however, I don't know if you felt yourself being like, wow, is this, I don't know, how did it feel for you? Were you, were you like, should I be this forward about this or should I not? Because in the end, it was the right thing to do. The listening to the voice wasn't foreign. If I sat down and said, gosh, I wasn't part of your inner circle of chosen family, but the circumstance with, with which I was getting messages and, and, and calls, there just was no question as to say, we are close to where you're going to therapy. Your husband at this moment is taking a, a subway to a train, to a car service. And this just seems like ridiculous to us. So we had like, it was a have to for me. Um, I lost someone I loved very much to a car accident and that you were alive at the other end of it and that your husband wanted to be by your side and be with you every single day spoke volumes to me. And I was like, we have to facilitate for them. They have to be together, you know? And then I felt the gift was returned in watching this beautiful relationship where Stephen would get up. Sometimes I'd drive him to um, Kessler. Sometimes he would find his own way there, but it was eight hours a day, 10 hours a day of him being by your side, decorating your room, the two of you talking, almost like, um, you know, um, conspiring about what was next for the healing, what was next for the future, what was next. And there was always this un unwrapping of gifts, one of what I was witnessing in the present, two of what you both were planning for the future. Um, and three, us just being able to, to see that and have our daughter mm. see that. To have Vivi witness a community that's saying, hey, we're here and we all have to work together to make this happen. And I felt it was such a gift. I mean, and then your parents, how they came in with such a beautiful energy as well. And the, oh, yeah, they, were all, they were also fangirling because they were like, you know, <laughs> my dad and Cher. And then they both also watched, um, what show was on at the time? Was it Madam Secretary or House of Cards? Yeah. What, they also Madam Secretary? Madam Secretary. So they were like, we are staying at celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> like they were, they, they were, they told everyone, like we're staying with Cher in the mess. <laughs> I'm sure they were highly disappointed when I'd come downstairs in the morning and be like, good morning, good morning. And just nothing, nothing like Cher. Nothing could disappoint But I, I loved, I loved that communal um, healing. And without sounding selfish, in the process of your healing, there was a lot of healing that took place in our, our home because of working together. You are a beacon. You, this that has been thrust upon you is for us to um, bear witness and share space, but also to learn from, from you. And I hope you feel that is a beautiful thing because on this side of it, looking toward you and at you, it is a beautiful thing from here for sure. Thank you. That's why I, I enthusiastically say yes to any opportunity where I think my presence might, you know, be instructive, be beneficial, be of service. That is the one thing that that just feels so right and has since the second the accident happened. 
all the opportunities I had where it said, Ooh, this, this is a chance to be of service. It, it just, I, I, I race towards it and I, I grab it with open arms. Mm. So thank you. And now it's time for the five questions. If you were a pizza, are you thick crust, thin crust, or deep dish? And what are your toppings? Ooh, it's like a, it's like a, a chewy thin crust and it's definitely some sort of green spinach or arugula, a prosciutto and a fresh mozzarella. Nice. He's nice. thought about this in the book of your life. What's this chapter called? Oh, goodness. Um, how to bounce back. Are you mountain, beach, or desert person, and why? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm a Gemini, so I was fortunate enough to have a a Broadway career that afforded me a a, a studio co-op in Fire Island and a small house in the mountains of Pennsylvania. So I really was both. Um, I spent my summers naked on the beach, making cocktails for friends around the pool, Um, you know, the beach is obviously not a place that is as welcoming to me and I haven't sort of spent a lot of time exploring how that might be in my life again. So I used to always be a person who wanted to take a vacation that was always on a coast. Um, and now I'm excited for the opportunity to take vacations inland, um, and so exploring cities that aren't a beach destination with a cocktail and a, and a, and a gay flag flying nearby. Um, so I'm looking forward to like Barcelona, um, Oaxaca and Mexico, uh, these places that, that I wouldn't have gone to prior. Um, so I guess I'm, 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 I'm giving you landlocked. Can I quickly put out a call though to our listeners? Does anybody have a connection, an Airbnb or a travel connection that can get Jared and Steven to either Barcelona or Huacatacataca, Mexico? I didn't get the name right. What is it? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. It's the one's like O-X-A-C-A. Okay. So listeners, I, listen to that call. Listen to that belly. What can, what can we do? What can we do? Okay. Thank you. Okay. If you could have any question answered, what would it be? Hmm. Why are some people's loads so heavy? Mm. You know, I I think Stephen often gets caught up in the fact that, you know, he believes in reincarnation because it helps him make sense of why somebody is currently born in Ukraine and somebody else is born in Santa Barbara, California. Yeah. yeah. So why are some people's loads so heavy? Why? We wouldn't be our brand if we didn't finish our five questions. Ah! So we have to do. <laughs> yes. Do it. Okay. Jared. If you were a nail polish color, what would that color be? And what is the cheeky little name of that nail polish? Uh, so I, this is the question I kept my mind blank. And the second you started to ask the question, I already knew the color. <laughs> so I tend to, as you can see in front of you, 
I tend to fall into this thing where I want to dress with like one of every primary color. Um, so I would definitely be like, uh, the nail polish would be the like basic eight Crayola box of like one stripe of each color. Um, and I guess we would call it taste the rainbow. Okay. That sounds a little suggestive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but wait, no, but isn't, isn't, isn't that like the Skittles tagline or something? It is, it is. And we know oh. that trademark, copyright, don't come after us, Skittles. We know it's yours. Just back off. But yes, <laughs> taste the rainbow. <laughs> I love spending this time with you. I miss you. I love you. I think you're spectacular. Thank you, beautiful human. Thank Give you, my love to Mary you. Lee. I'm so happy to meet you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Bye. Love you both. Bye bye. Coming up next, what struck a chord with us? Right after a word from our sponsor. Y'all, Stages is now sponsored by BetterHelp, and I couldn't be more excited because I love therapy. So I encourage you, if you've had a tough year and a half. why don't you give them a shot you can find a therapist that you can connect with their resource is thousands of therapists well-trained and experienced you can keep looking until you find someone that you click with they have customized online therapy they do offer videos but they also offer phone and live chat sessions so you don't even have to be seen you can only be heard what are you waiting for go to BetterHelp. that's h-e-l-p.com slash stages and for our cast members you get 10 percent off your first month at betterhelp.com slash stages Go, go, go. Go find your healing. Go find your happy. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P. Okay, I just want to say, before we go into anything, that story about how you just kept having the calling that there was some way that you could help them or be of service or open your home or whatever it was, so special. I mean, that is... I think that's like the point of life. And I think the fact that you listened to it and you did it, it's just really, really special. I, I just want to cry. Um, there is uh, always a sense of awe when I am with him. There is a keeping myself in check for all that I take for granted. There is a voice that says, you have to do better. <laughs> um, and I, I find myself a bit speechless. And it's always after when I, even my, um, to bring up my voice teacher who had quite a a difficult, challenging, abusive life. She would say, I'm just turning my scars into stars. I'm just turning my scars into stars. And the older um, I get, the more that really makes sense. And I'm not turning this inward to, to my life. But when I recognize people that have had major traumas, um, painful childhoods, whatever the case may be. And they show up so 
loving mm. and open and generous and present, right? That is one thing that um, I honor about Jared, even though he prepped for the five questions. <laughs> he wrote you know, to me and he said, I <laughs> can't wait for the five questions. And I was like, oh, 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 now I have to change them all. <laughs> but for him to, to sit and say, I hear you, but, or, aha, that's true. Or, nope, that didn't happen for me. Or I'm not, you know, recognizing that statement. I love that about people, but without um, schooling us, without trying to be a tutor or being uh, no. condescending. And I think that sometimes comes from the people that is, that are in, 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 holding that heavy burden and maybe um, uh, weaponizing it in some way because they're still working on the healing, which will forever I would think that healing would just be a forever project. Yeah. You know, he sits inside his own strength and thoughts without making you feel like you're being schooled for anything. He's not concerned with changing your mind. He's just concerned with uh, sitting in his own strength and power. But I wanted to ask you a question and you don't have to answer it if it's too personal, but mm. when you say that you have the calls, what, what are they for you? How do they show up for you? Is it in the form of dreams? Is it in the form of a, a persistent chatter? What is it? It's persistent chatter. It's, I don't sleep. It's, um, yes, I will just constantly, uh, you need to pick up the phone. And it's always, interestingly enough, right? It's the, it's the, it's the email that holds great importance that it takes me a week and a half to actually get to an answer. Mm -hmm. the, the little things, the easier things, the, <laughs> you can get to those right away. Things that hold importance. I have a tendency to put off, mm -hmm. but when there is a nagging and I am not sleeping and, you know, the question just keeps coming up of why not, how can I, doesn't there seem like um, because again, like he said, I wasn't one of his best friends. We've shared the stage together. I certainly had great admiration for him. Um, but I had met his husband, Stephen, maybe twice. So to look at Seb and say, I think we need to open up our home mm -hmm. and have Stephen live with us for however long this may be was Sebastian wasn't taken aback, but it was kind of like, oh, okay. If you feel like that's something we need to do. Um, and, you know, going back to regrets, it's always the, the not doing the inaction yeah. that yeah. brings such, um, uh, heaviness <clears throat> to my heart. And there have been a few times where I haven't said what needed to be said. And I think I even mentioned in that Daniel Pink interview that some of the things that I didn't say or do was with the person that was in that car accident that then didn't live through it. So if there is this voice of what can I say, how can I do, how can I help? And I don't see somebody else stepping up to, you know, because we also have a tendency to say, oh, well, so-and-so's got that covered, or mm -hmm. I know that they're going to take care of that. Mm -hmm. But if I know that singularly <laughs> God has placed me right here in this moment with a house that has an extra bedroom that just happens to be in the neighboring town where Jared is going to mm -hmm. physical therapy. Don't all arrows point to you yeah. better open up that front door and let Steven live in that second bedroom. I mean, there's 
who else has that yeah. all laid out for them. And uh, that's that. But usually for me, it's sleep on a grander scale. If I'm not sleeping, you There's better, you better act. When he was talking about learning to receive how challenging that is for him. Yeah. I remember, um, I, I used to not be very good at receiving help or gifts or compliments or care. Um, I still struggle with it a little bit. I'm really you, good at giving it. I give it. Do all you the feel time. like it comes with, um, some sort of, uh, uh strings? like, yeah, some no, strings attached. It's not that it's a self-worth issue. It's, mm, oh, mm. I don't, I shouldn't, I don't deserve. No, 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 no. But I remember having someone say to me, um, and it was really simple. They just wanted to buy me dinner. And I was like, no, 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 no. You know, I, I got it or whatever. And she said, you know, when you refuse a kindness or a gesture or a gift, you're actually depriving me of the joy I feel by doing something nice for you. Hmm. And when she said it that way, I went, wow, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> that by not um, graciously receiving what people would like to give you, you're, you're actually taking joy away from them. Hmm. And I thought that was, that made such an impact in me that I learned that when someone gives me a compliment, instead of saying, no, no, I say, thank you. <laughs> or if someone wants to give me a, a gift or a kind gesture, I say, thank you, you know, which yeah. was big for me, but it took that. It was just a little statement from her that changed my whole perspective on receiving kindness. Jared is a, I, I think a very unique human being because of wanting to be of service after an accident like this. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know many people that have been paralyzed in my lifetime. I certainly now recognize the world in a different way because I do know and love Jared. But when Jared said, you know, going to the beach, uh, he said something like it, it's not, they don't welcome me there very easily anymore. Yeah. And I had never thought that wheelchair accessibility mm -hmm. to the beach. Um, when I said, Jared boards to stage, please Jared to stage. I could only maybe think of one theater that would allow Jared to easily get to a dressing room or to a basement or to the stage. Mm -hmm. It gives yes. you a new perspective yes. about, about um, just stopping to notice the small, the small things and realizing that you never really understand other people's struggles. We don't, we take them for granted. And I'm, I'm totally guilty of this too, because I get very short with like people on the phone when I'm trying to get something accomplished. My son always says, gosh, you're so nice in life. And you're so mean on the phone when you're trying to get things done because I have very limited patience for getting things done. I do it quick. Why can't you do it quick? Mm -hmm. And it makes you stop and go, I don't know what that person's life is. I don't know right. what There's their a human on the other end of that or their phone. big struggles are. And it doesn't even have to be something as huge as going through what Jared went through, but just struggles in life. It makes you stop and it makes you think about um, the challenges that other people face and that, and it puts your own challenges into perspective, you know? Anyway, I, I, I really appreciated him coming on and talking to us and, um, and he's a really 
unique and wonderful guy. And I, I wanted to say when he when he left because he said that he needed to hear this sometimes, but um he is doing a really great job. I know. <laughs> I love you. Love you too. Bye. So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. A big thank you goes out to our assistant and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you to Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music. Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo. Brock Grenfeld, our sound engineer. And Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today. We hope you come back next week. <laughs>